from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is Crosswalk. We're glad you've joined us. Pastor Clay is away this week. Our current sermon series, Survivor, continues next week when Pastor Clay returns. Now our guest speaker from Gideon's International. I'm going to take you all to Ghana, West Africa, with us today. I will say that West Africa and Ghana is going to be a little bit warmer. They're right near the equator. But Ghana is a very interesting country. And a lot of, I didn't know a lot about Ghana. Didn't know really a great deal about Western Africa. So when they asked me several years ago, they says, Bob, would you want to go on a two-week international scripture blitz to Ghana, West Africa? Now, I'm originally from Georgia. I live in Asheville now. But, you know, a natural response for a Georgian was, can a frog hop? They were in Tennessee. They understood this old boy from Georgia would love to go. And uh, so I got excited about going to Ghana. Our ministry, which is a part of the body of Christ, we're members of the local church. We just have unique opportunities that get us into avenues of, the, of, of everyday life that a lot of times a local church doesn't have access to. But because we represent the churches at large, it has opened up many, many doors. As many of y'all know, we're throughout the military, not just U.S., but we're in the militaries of most of the 200-plus countries we're in. We put out Bibles in the Cuban military, in the Russian military, and on around. And so just very um, amazing opportunities. But they asked me if I wanted to go to Ghana, West Africa. Absolutely. And of course, you've got to take shots, and you, there's a lot of stuff you have to do before you go. And uh, the, uh, But I was excited about this. We have approximately 18 of these international scripture blitzes every year. And it's really fortuitous and interesting that Nate, right now today, is probably speaking in a church in Ecuador, just like I'm speaking here. So, because we speak in churches all over the world. And so, that's probably what he's doing even right now. He may even have two church services this morning. So, lift up your brother Nate, because he's going to be trying to talk through a translator. And it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting, but in these cross cultures, it is such a vibrant and exciting and wonderful experience. And you'll see that here in just a few minutes. But they asked me if I wanted to go. I said, absolutely. But about 18 of these are done every year where Gideons will come from multiple countries. This particular trip, we had Gideons from Australia, South Africa, Northern Ireland, and the United States. And there was 24 of us all together. And we teamed up with the local Gideons. And we went to Ghana. Next slide. Ghana is also known as on the Gold Coast of West Africa for good reason. That's probably been one of the highest exported regions for gold for over a thousand years. And that is still, to this day, one of their major exports. But Ghana, all you chocolate lovers, how many here like chocolate? I didn't think I was the only one. But they, they export a tremendous amount of cocoa beans and cocoa for, for chocolate. They also have other minerals. They're a very mineral-rich country. They export a lot of aluminum. They export a lot of wood. And in the last eight, nine, ten years, they've found some, gold, some oil reserves, mostly just right off the coast, but they're now beginning to, 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 to export crude oil out, and that's another source of revenue for the country. But uh, Ghana was made up of originally of, of eight native tribes, that had actually come into that region of the, of the continent back in the 1400s. And they came from the north and from the east and came west and settled this region. And three of the tribes were actually very large. One of the tribes is considered to probably have been the most powerful African native tribe in all of Africa, maybe even more powerful than the Zulus in more of the southern Africa. But they were a very powerful nation. And they warred for hundreds of years. You know, they'd, they'd be warring. And... Um, the, and a lot of it was over the main gold reserves, trying to maintain that area. But uh, the, 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 it was starting to be colonized by the, by the Dutch originally, then the Portuguese, and then the, the British ended up with that as a, as a colony of theirs. And the British actually poured a lot of resources into their colonies. They built hundreds of schools that they're still using to this day. And, uh, but we also know that this was a major area of Africa for exporting slaves. And as the tribes would war against one another, instead of killing the other tribes, they would just capture a whole bunch of them and sell them off. And they had been selling slaves to the Arabs and the Muslims 
and still to this day in parts of Africa, there's still slavery going on. I don't know if you don't know that or not, but in South Sudan, still a great deal of slavery being still going on to this day. But they were selling other tribes off to the Arabs hundreds of years before we ever discovered America. But of course, when the colonies came about, it picked the, the trade really did pick up. And that was a major area for, for slaves to be exported out to the, to the colonies. And uh, to this day, though, the, since the British came in and they really began to stabilize the, the region, the tribes began to get along with one another. And today, there's, there's not near the tribal distinctions between the different tribes. It used to be their characteristics were quite distinguishable. But there's, there's, they've gotten along very well. This is a very, very stable country in Africa, probably the most stable country in all of Africa. And it's considered really the most affluent country in Africa. The U.S. has a huge complex for their embassy, and almost all of your other countries around the world have their embassies in Ghana, which reach out to all of West Africa. Instead of having an embassy in all the countries, they have one in Ghana because they feel like Ghana is is the most stable. And then they reach to the countries there in Western Africa out of Ghana. So just a little bit of background there. Even though they still do speak their tribal languages, English is the country's language. And there's signs in the school that say, speak English only. So they train all the students in English. They read and spell and write just English because they want those students to be able to go to universities, colleges, study abroad, and just have a better foundation for job opportunities. But when I was speaking in churches, the older people still spoke mostly their tribal languages, and I had to work through a translator as well. Next slide. The, this Dr. Kwame Naruma was their George Washington and led Ghana to their independence in 1957. And they were the very first colony in all of Africa to get their independence. So it's kind of interesting when you kind of know the cultural backgrounds of these areas and where they came from and what they did. We, we see the world from a real shallow perspective because we just don't really know the history. But very interesting, because at that particular time, communism was pretty strong in parts of the world, and the Western world was very concerned that this country may turn into that sphere of influence. If you can remember back into the 50s and 60s, you know, communism was just very big on the world scene and gaining traction, gaining a lot of... And people don't realize, but Africa was... And the South Africans and the Ghanans and a couple of other nations were fighting communism in several hot spots in Africa. The Congo was one. And South Africa led in the military defenses against communism while we were fighting in Vietnam. And all we know about is Vietnam. But they had it just as hard in Africa. But South Africa never lost a war. Never. And they beat communism in the Congo, which were in other areas that what, the Cubans were in there fighting, Russians were in there. You know, it, was, it was really interesting. We don't hear much about that. But South Africa kept Africa stable and from turning to communism. But Dr. Karuma and and those people, they really wanted a parliamentary form of government, a democratic republic like we have, and they do to this day. So it's a representative-type government. They were just trying to get freedom and independence, just like we as a country wanted our independence. And so that kind of started things in Africa. Now, again, the Western world didn't want to just throw them away and throw them out to the wolves. They tried to help them make that transition to where they wouldn't, the governments wouldn't fall apart or they wouldn't turn to communism. So just a little history there. Next slide. Uh, real quickly, the, the Gideon ministry was established in 1966. We've actually got over 160 camps now. We've got over 1,800 Gideons and 200 auxiliaries, and we've placed actually well over 30 million copies of God's Word in Ghana to date. This is the crew that I worked with. This is in Accra. And Accra is the capital of Ghana. Over two million people there, about two and a half million people. Uh, It's really a thriving metropolis. People are just busy, 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 very industrious. Um, And this was the camp in central Accra, one of the oldest camps in Ghana. And we met with these business professional men. And for that week, them and a number of other camps were taking our members out to do school distributions, hospital distributions, college distributions, prisons, military bases, jails, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I'll say, you know, I get in ministry, we, we recruit business and professional men and their wives. And uh, the gentleman that you'll see on the uh, right beside me, he was a retired attorney. And he was the boardroom CEO attorney for five major corporations, making sure that they did everything in their orchestration and, that would apply with the government regulations. Very sharp individual. The man second to the right there was a retired major in their military. And he had, had some extensive combat experience in the Congo, based at the same time we were in Vietnam. They had many years of battles there in Africa, trying to keep Africa. Because communism was moving into the Orient. We were fighting them there, and they were moving into Africa, and they were trying to get a foothold into Central and South America. We don't realize what was going on with communism. And, but our engagement in Vietnam made them realize they were going to be paying a very big price. The same thing happened in the Congo and elsewhere. So there was a lot of benefits from things that we may not realize. But these gentlemen, very sharp individuals. Matter of fact, they were one of the strongest Gideon camps I've seen U.S. or anywhere in the world. These guys were sharp, sharp individuals. Next slide. Every morning we'd get together for prayer time and sharing of stories of what happened the day before and and, and the best way to get into the schools, to assemble their schools, instead of having to go room to room. The best way to communicate with these students. And um, we did have people from all over the world and all over the country. And you'll find this very easy to understand. But I had several people tell us that, that they preferred us Southerners. We understand that. And they said, because you talk slower. <laughs> we can understand you. So when I'd go to a school, I'd tell them, I says, look, I know I sound funny and the kids would all giggle, you know. But the first day or two, the kids would kind of be nudging one another and trying, you know, and I realized that they were trying to interpret what I was saying to the other students. And then I says, look, I know it's hard for me to understand. That's just how we talk in North Carolina. So I tell you what I'll do. I will speak slow if you will listen fast. And the kids would go along with it, and it, but it took that language off the table, which could have been a distraction. But every day we prayed, and we were up early. We was up about 5.30 or so, because we would try to get a little bite to eat. We'd try to be in our prayer meeting by around 6 to 6.15, and we'd be leaving at about a quarter to 7 to 7 o'clock to be at those schools when the kids would come, and we would try to catch the initial assemblies and then all day long. Next slide. The, uh, we spoke in churches, as I had mentioned to you earlier. And folks, I, I have been working with our African-American churches here in the United States for a number of years. I love it. I've had a wonderful time. We have very solid African-American churches in Asheville. There was a, a, a black gentleman that was a real, real rounder, alcoholic, everything else, who came to know the Lord some 40 years ago. And he was such a dynamic black preacher that he really turned out of some very powerful so we have some very solid Bible teaching, preaching churches in Asheville, and I just love them. And, but I will say something. In worshiping in a black church is a whole different experience. But then you go to Africa, and what a joy. You know, we European gut folks, we're, we're pretty reserved. I don't know if you believe it or not. <laughs> now, hear an amen over here. All right. And we really are, guys. I mean, we're tight. But you go to Africa, and the joy, the, the expression, the 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 freedom and the liberty in which they worship. And it's pure, wholesome, holy worship. You just get caught up in it. I just had a wonderful time with our black brothers and sisters over there. And they responded to our getting report and gave sacrificially. I was sharing with you all earlier, they really are the most prosperous country in Africa. But whatever job you have, if it's a school teacher, military personnel, attorney, whatever, they're actually making about a quarter to a third of what we would be making. And they're one of the more affluent, they are the more affluent African country. There are many of our African nations where they're averaging two to three dollars a day, and sometimes five a day. And that's for hard labor. And a lot of those guys are working six days a week, 10 hour days, and sometimes 12 for that money. Their electricity is about three times more expensive than our electricity. Their food is on par with the cost of our food, about the same. 
Their gasoline is about 50% more expensive than our gasoline. And yet they gave generously and graciously and joyfully because they knew the impact that this ministry has had on their country and they wanted to participate. They wanted to be a part of it. And it was just, you know, you almost wanted to ask them to keep the money, but that'd be, that'd be taking a joy and a, and a reward away from them. So people give very sacrificially around the world. We'll hear from places over there where uh, a husband or a wife, after that spouse is deceased, they'll many times will actually give their wedding rings to help further the Gideon ministry. And it's the most precious thing they have. But that's how sacrificial people give around the world to see that their people get copies of God's Word. Folks, school after school opened their doors. We would, we would explain to the headmasters that, you know, we can go room to room, but if we go room to room, it'll, it'll take us so much longer that there'll probably be two and maybe three schools that I can't get to today. And so, because they wanted you to... I said, please assemble the students. And over there, they ring a bell, and those kids are assembled in a heartbeat. And within less than five minutes, they're lined up right where their class is supposed to be lined up, gun barrel straight, and, and all the teachers have these, these, these sticks, these little whips, and they'll pop two or three of the kids just for principal. And if a kid does get out of line a little bit, they'll whack them. And you'll see the kid grimace, you know, but about 30 a minute later, they're fine. And, but, but they will not spare the rod, I'll assure you. But these kids line up, they behave, and, and, it's, and, and they're so attentive to hear what we've got to say. And here we were at a school. There's probably 600 students there, able to stand on the second floor up there. And folks, they didn't need to know who the Gideons were. They needed to know who Jesus is. They needed to know what the greatest fact of all times is. Next slide. Next slide. Can you advance one more slide? Is it working for us? Okay, okay, no, it did not. Interesting. The, uh, but school after school, did you go several slides? Can you back up to where we were? There we go. The, uh, the education, I, that's interesting. Well, that's okay. I know we're on this. I'll, I'll work it. But school after school, they would assemble the kids. And, and guys, in, in Africa, all of Africa, and in Ghana, every parent pays for their child's education. And they said they would not want it any other way. Now, they could send their kids to a heavily subsidized government school, and it wouldn't be that expensive. Or they could send them to a private school. And private education is very big in Ghana. And, and these kids are studying. Folks, we got a third world that's coming after us. And they're coming after us by education. And they take their education dead serious because every parent's paying for it. And even in the public schools, every school we went to, there'd be 12 to 20 parents sitting outside of the administrator's office. They were going to check and make sure Sebastian was studying. Or little Johnny or little Jane. They wanted to make sure that they were doing their homework and studying. And matter of fact, a lot of kids, if, if, if the parents are really not behind it and the kids are really not into it, they know they're going to lose those kids probably in the fourth or fifth or grade or sixth grade. So they make it their mission that that kid can read by the third grade and spell and write. And usually we won't give out Bibles until the fifth grade and up, even in America. But in these countries, I'll put most of their third graders up against our third graders. And in almost every case, they'll outread our third graders. Because the only thing they want that third grader to know how to do is to read and write and to do some, some math. And, and they are proficient. And by the fourth grade, because they know that many of those kids, that's all they're going to get. But they want that kid to be able to read and write and do mathematics. And they are strong by the fourth grade. Now, the ones that stay on in the program and go on through, it's a good education. It's not quite at our level yet on the college level, but they're not far from us, and they're coming. And so it's very exciting to see the kids. They're, they're a very handsome people. 
this group of, of the African nation are not your tall, slender runners or your tinier people or the real big ones, but they're very, they were warriors. You could just tell these guys were built to fight. And they were all in good shape. I saw hundreds of thousands of people, and I saw one or maybe two people that were overweight. You think we'd see that in America? Not on your life. I mean, they were, they were, they were neat. They took good care of themselves. And we'll go ahead and, yeah, that's, this is where we're on a college campus. As a matter of fact, we're going to be on the college campus tomorrow at AB Tech. And we'll give out about 400 testaments. We used to give out about 2,000. We were all over the campus. And five, six years ago, the campus has restricted us to a freedom of speech area. So in other words, on your taxpayer dollar college campuses today, there is no freedom of speech except for in a one little 10-yard patch of grass. And you can count on it. They're silencing our, 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 our Christian culture and, and, and revisionizing our history. But over here, we had free access to these college rooms and one kid came running out to me and says, hey, will you come and talk to my class? I know the teacher, and he'll let you talk to my class. But here again, it's like saying, sick him to a dog, man. I was with him in a heartbeat. Got to tell the whole classroom what the greatest fact of all times was. And we were back out there on that college campus, and, and there was over 10,000 students that come through that college campus in a day. And we gave out probably somewhere between seven and 8,000. We went back several times to catch the kids but just so receptive to take God's Word. Next slide. We went to hospitals and got to go room to room and make sure the Bibles were in the hospital rooms, and, which we do, and we used to do here in the States until the, until the um, HIPAA laws were passed, and so it really kind of has made it difficult, but we still put Bibles in a lot of medical facilities and nurses, and we give them to the chaplains when people ask for them. The chaplains will take them a Bible. But here we were, still able to go in the rooms, witness to people. The young man there on the right had a Bible that was so ragged and filthy and just so worn that you could hardly even read the top corner or some of the pages. That, that Bible had been read by thousands of people. And I asked him if I could trade him a brand new one for that old one. And I carried it with me for about two days. And I'll be, so, I'll be honest with you, it was just so dirty that I didn't want to carry it any further. I wanted to bring it back and just show people because you wouldn't believe what they, they, how they just worn that thing out right, reading it. And a, and a medical testament like that may cost us $2. So one of you were the person that gave that $2 that, that wore that Bible out. So wonderful time. Next slide. Folks, there was over 1,000 students. There was, a, there was a girls' school, private school. There was a big boarding school. There was a conservative estimate that 500 of those young ladies prayed to receive Christ that morning. We were able to present the gospel in 936 schools in two weeks. We were able to distribute, one at a time, hand-to-hand, 570,000 copies of God's Word. One school we went into, a good-sized school, probably about 800 students, the headmaster had asked his students, he said, for two weeks, I've asked my students to bring your Bibles. We're going to study God's Word. Bring your Bibles. He said he had five kids that had a Bible. He said, thank you for giving my kids their Bibles. Now, and everywhere we went, we said, oh, we're going to study these. They're required to teach religion every week. And many schools also had an hour of worship. And you would walk in sometimes on their worship, and, the, and there'd be the little, some of the little boys be beating some drums, and the girls very wholesomely would just be dancing before the Lord, praising the Lord, and the kids would be clapping. And for an hour, they just worship the Lord every week. Don't you wish our public schools could do that here? <laughs> yeah. And their hearts were so sensitive. Next slide. We went to churches both Sundays, spoke in churches. This was their attire. Now, this time I was up in Kamasi which is about south-central part of the country. It's about an hour and 20-minute flight. And it's kind of really in the region where the, a lot of the gold was being mined and all. But these were individuals more in their native address. The women are very crafty. Basically, every woman will have two or three crafts that they're quite accomplished at. And one is, is, is making clothes. They're very creative in their colors, their dyes, the very colorful clothes. I asked these ladies if I could take their picture. They got excited. And uh, another thing very unique is they carry their little babies, even up to a couple of years old, 
on their, on their hips, on the backside, which it makes a lot of sense. The little kid just rides on their, on their, their rump with a little, you know, uh, kind of a, uh, a wrap around the kid. And usually that wrap they have the kid in matches their head thing. You know, they're all coordinated. And uh, just, but they are very neat people, a very clean people, and a very industrious people. And, and just working hard to make a living. This was the largest military school in Ghana. I was looking at, out at over 4,500 pairs of eyes. You could hardly see the students in the back. But they were disciplined. They were attentive. And they, were, and they just hung on every word. So you told them what the greatest fact of all times was. And you brought it. You didn't hold back. You had six to eight minutes to tell someone how they could get to heaven. And you can do it. But to me, the most important thing that they would come away with is the most important fact. And I'd say we can find that truth. We can find that in God's Word. I'd say in a few minutes, we're going to give you a copy of the greatest book that's ever been written. You're going to have your very own personal copy of God's Word. And I want you to put your name and your date in the front and put your teacher's name so you can remember whose classroom that you were in when you got your Bible. And so we honor the teachers by doing so. And I said, and in the very back, there's a GPS. And even over there, they know what GPSs are. This is God's plan for salvation. And I said, but don't write your name in this, into there or date this until you've asked Christ to be your forever friend. And I'd say, we're going to tell you what the greatest fact is. We're going to give you the greatest book that's ever been written. And it has the greatest love story that has ever been told. The greatest fact, though, is found in John chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. And as we look in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 2, and 3, and I'll tell them in, in their little New Testament, since it's on page 161, I said, in John is a great place to start reading when you get your little Bibles. I said, so start in John. But I said, in John, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, with, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And as earlier, you began to quote that verse with me. Almost every school I was in, the kids would start quoting that verse with me. They memorized scripture over there. And uh, as we got on into that, the, uh, I'd ask the kid, i say, well, the word's capitalized, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and, and nothing was made that the word didn't make. I said, who's the word? And you'd hear some of the students say, God, God. I says, you're right. It is God, but let's be more specific. And we'd look at verse 14. And I'd say in verse 14, it says, And the Word, the same capital letter word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Said, I'd say, well, now, who is the Word? And you'd hear children say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'd say, yes. I says, the greatest fact of all times is that Jesus Christ is the creator God of the universe. He created time. And if you've got time, you can go into Colossians and some other places, but I had, to, I had to hit it hard and fast. But I want you to know that the greatest fact of all times is that Jesus Christ created all the heavens and the earth. I want us to look at the greatest love story. And in the back of this little Bible that we're going to give you in a few minutes gives a breakdown of that love story. 
Brothers and sisters, I believe that our gospel message today has become man-centered. We need to return to a Christ-centered gospel message. I believe that when you establish the foundation on who Christ is, when we exalt Christ, he will draw all men unto himself. And there is no stronger foundation. Period. But then we go on into the love story. And I said, all of y'all have heard of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I said, that son that he gave was the creator God of the universe who humbled himself and became a man. And why did he come? I said, and I I could only hit one of the verses out of of our four sections because we had to hit the ground hard. I said, but in, in, we're told in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And folks, you don't soft-pedal sin. It is a disease that will condemn someone to eternal hell. And I said, there's not a one in here today that has not told things that were not true. We've stretched the truth. We've omitted the truth. We've lied. Every one of us. And how many lies do we have to tell to be a liar? And every one of us have taken some things from time to time that didn't really belong to us. How many things do we have to take before we're a thief? Just one. I said, we've had wrong attitudes, and and I said, we've been very self-centered. And I said, every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, you could feel the Holy Spirit bringing condemnation, conviction, really, bringing conviction on those little children. And I would turn to the next verse, and I'd say, I said, but you know, there's a remedy for that sin. And I say, we're told about that in, Revela- in, in Romans 6, 23, where it says, for the wages of sin is death. And death here is eternal separation from God. It's a spiritual death. And the wages of sin is death. But, and I'm so glad that but's there, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The creator God of the universe became a man so that he could pay a debt that he did not owe because you and I owed a debt that we could never pay. And I said, so the wages of sin is eternal separation from God, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then I'd go into the very last thing. I'd say, you know, we told you what the greatest fact of all times is, that Jesus Christ is the creator God of the universe. We will give you the greatest book that's ever written that has the greatest love story. But, you know, none of that will matter here today at all to you personally until you have the greatest day of your life. And the greatest day of your life is when you acknowledge that you're a sinner. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've had wrong attitudes, wrong thoughts. I've taken things that didn't belong to me. I've lied. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. So you just confess it. And the greatest day of your life is when you also ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you and to wash you. You say, dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Be my Lord and my Savior. And I say, so the greatest day of your life is explained here in Revelation 3.20, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is the creator God of the universe, who had became a man, dwelt among us, was crucified on the cross and paid our debt, and is now raised from the dead and lives in glory. He's standing at the door of your heart through his Holy Spirit, and he's knocking today. He says, if any man will hear my voice... And I don't believe we're here by accident. I don't think I came all the way from North Carolina to be here today in your school. That he's not knocking at the door of your heart today. And he wants to be your forever friend. A friend that will stick closer than a brother. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him. And that's a promise of the creator God of the universe who cannot lie. And he's knocking at hearts, I think, even here this morning. And if we would just bow our heads right now 
and close our eyes. If, if you were to walk out of here and not even make it home, do you know without a doubt that you will spend eternity in heaven? Is it 100% sure that you have eternal life? You could have been raised in the church. You could have been around good people in a Christian home. But you personally have never asked Jesus to come into your heart and to forgive you. So this morning, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if this is your prayer, just repeat it. You can say it in your heart. But I led these thousands of children in this prayer where we said, Dear Lord Jesus, I want to say the most beautiful sound in the world is to hear these children pray unto the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I've told things that were not true. I've taken things that did not belong to me. I've had a wrong attitudes. And Lord, I know that I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Dear Lord Jesus, come into, the, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for calling me and for saving me. Dear Lord Jesus, help me to read and understand your word. Help me to pray and help me to tell other people about you. And without opening your eyes here this morning or raising your hand, is there someone here this morning that did not know for certain that you'd go to heaven, but this morning you asked Christ to come into your heart? Was there anyone here this morning? All right. Well, amen. I'm hoping that we've all got our names in the Lamb's Book of Life, but you can look up. But brothers and sisters, in every school, 20 to 50% of those students responded to the gospel. And I'd ask them, who wants Jesus to be your forever friend? And their hands would just go as high as they could hold them. And we would pray together. And the first day and a half or two days, at the end of the service, I said, this is the greatest day of your life. And the kids would just break forth in rejoicing. And I'm a little slow if you hadn't noticed it. And it took me a day or so. And I, I said, yeah, yeah, Lord, what's going on here? And the Lord says, Bob, don't you know that the jailer in Acts, he and his whole family rejoiced greatly all night? And he reminded, and I said, yeah, it's the greatest day in their life. And so I began to rejoice with these kids. And it was out of just a pureness of heart to see them just praising the Lord and thanking the Lord for their salvation. Words cannot explain. Everywhere you went, you see just great big smiles. You'd also hear people holler out from time to time, Bruni, Bruni. And after a few days, you know, I asked my driver, I says, you know, what's a Bruni? He said, I just holler back to him, Babini. I said, what's Babini? He said, that's black man. So I said, okay, so I'm away. <laughs> and so we'd be riding down the road. Somebody said, hey, Babini. I, I, I'd, go, I'd go, Bruni. I'd go, Babini. And they'd just wave, smile, laugh. And so as far as racial tensions, it's really not much there. Everybody just gets along and has a good time. But they're, they're just working, people on the streets selling stuff, shops along the way. I think y'all saw that uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, didn't you? Yep. But school after school, we worked with our local Gideons, encouraging them to preach the gospel, encouraging them and just training them and how to be more effective in reaching their, their nation for God. But school after school, there was almost 2,000 kids there. Guys, you just bring it and see the Lord just move. We had new member plans. We had, we had two new member plans, one in Kamasi and one in, in Accra. And we had 52 men come and hear about our ministry. And guess how many men joined? 52, all of them. In the United States, in the southeast in the United States, for me to get 52 men to join, I'd have to have 100 men show up. I'd have to have 200 men say, yeah, go ahead and pay for my meal. You can count on me. I'll be there. And to have 200 men to tell us to buy the meals for them, I'd have to invite over 1,000. That was not this way in America 50 years ago. It was not this way in America a hundred years ago. When we went into Russia for the first time, we had to turn men away. 
The first opportunity we had for men to join the ministry, we needed 25 men, and we had 500 come forward. I know it. Commitment levels that you and I don't know about. In South Sudan, they will ride a bicycle for days without food and water, hoping that God will provide along the way to get, to get their Bibles back to their schools. And their little village will get together and, and chip in the money because their annual dues are $10 a year. But it takes the whole community to, to pull together $10 so that, that they can have a Gideon from their church. And they'll work to get him a bicycle and they'll gather around him and help him put four boxes of Bibles on the back of that bicycle and lash him down with bike tubes. And they'll run down the road to stabilize him and help him down as, as far as they can run with him. And they won't see him again for three, four, five, six days. But he's taking Bibles to his children in his country. We can't get out of bed on a Saturday morning to come to a prayer meeting. Brothers, pray for our nation. The spiritual condition of our nation is dire. The body of Christ needs to rise up and be bold. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. The, uh, back up one more slide. Okay, well, I won't say much. The guy up here on the top right corner, real quick, he, uh, we invite him to come. And he, he showed up, and I, I was, I'd gotten through a few applications. I'd gotten down to his application, and we were going through it and going through the qualifications, that the, you know, your spiritual qualifications. And he stopped me. He says, Bob, that's why I'm here today. I'd already told you earlier I'm a little slow. So I said, great, I'm glad you're here. Let's go on through it, you know. He stopped me again, and he says, Bob, that's why I'm here today. And it dawned on me. He came today to receive Jesus. So I opened the little testament. Showed him the greatest fact of all times and went to the GPS. And right there, he prayed to receive Christ, joined the kingdom of God, and then joined the Gideons International. Next slide. School after school, guys, just people raising their hands to receive Christ. It's amazing. We were, well, these were people we would talk to. Eighty percent of the people we would just talk to on the streets would pray to receive Christ. Hearts tender like you would never believe. Just soft towards spiritual things. And you come back to America and the hearts are just so hard. But they were just tender. This lady in the middle up there, she was in charge of the hospital there. We got a chance to, the, the other Gideons and the nursing staff went out to help them go through the hospital. I felt like I needed to just stay there. And I asked her if she knew what the greatest fact of all times. And she, no one had ever told her. We went through the plan of salvation. She prayed to receive Christ right there. At that very moment when she said amen, the staff came walking back in. And I said, would you tell them what you've just done? And she shared her salvation story. The man on the left there was, a, was on the flight with me to Kamasi. And uh, he, was, he's a, he flies back and forth every day, six days a week. He's a gold transporter. And I said, that could be a dangerous job. And he said, it can be. And I led him to the Lord and showed him what the greatest fact of all times. And I said, as a matter of fact, this is the second greatest flight you'll ever have. Your greatest flight is when Jesus comes back and calls you home. The ladies on the right there, some of the people there are vi quite affluent. They had travel bags that they had been traveling all over the world. So there are some folks that are part of, high up in, the, in some of the tribes. Our director of Ghana is the grandson of the tribal chief of one of the largest tribes in Africa. And his grandson is our, our director of our country. And, uh, but, you know, some of them are involved in the gold trade and so forth. So we led her to the Lord, and the only sourpuss I saw the whole time I was over there was sitting just to her right. And I said, will you work on her? She said, don't you worry, I'll take care of her. <laughs> Next slide. But school after school, there was almost, there was over 2,000 students at this school. And it's seen them receive Next slide. We had a pastor's banquet, and I'll end with this. But we had two big pastor's banquets like we had Friday night. Local pastors, the local police chiefs, dignitaries, and so forth come to the banquets. A real way to honor the community and our pastors. The gentleman in the middle there, to the left, not the guy on the right, the guy on the left, is Abdul. And Abdul was raised in a spiritist home. Spirit worship, which is demon worship, is still quite prevalent in much of Africa. His father was a priest in that religion, and they inducted Abdul when he was four years old. By the time Abdul was in grade school, just fourth and fifth grade, he dropped out of school and began to run with the most violent gang 
in Kamasi. By the time he was 13, 14, he was committing armed robberies. By the time he was in his teens, later teens, he had already killed people. He was arrested at, at 21 years of age for robbing a bank and was in prison and was given a life sentence because his rap sheet was so long they were just going to lock him up for life. And Abdul was so violent in the prisons that he was in and such an instigator and rebel rouser that within 8 to 12 months they'd have to move him to another prison because he was just causing so much chaos in the prison. One day the Gideons came to his prison and gave out little New Testaments and preached the gospel. Well, Abdul was actually quite excited about his little New Testament because these are very high-quality books. The bindings are very well made. The paper is some of the highest quality paper. It won't yellow. It won't swell. I still have my dad's New Testament that he took into World War II. I still have my testament that I got as a freshman on a college campus, and I wore it out. It's still good, though. But, uh, but he really liked the quality of the paper because he could roll his marijuana cigarettes and sell them. Well, his cellmate told Abdul, he said, Abdul, you're, that is wicked. I mean, he was just appalled that he would be tearing pages out of God's Word. Well, Abdul thought he had done a whole lot worse than that. But two nights later, an angel appeared to Abdul in a dream. And it was so graphic and so vivid, but that angel pointed at Abdul and he said, Abdul, you are living wicked and you will spend eternity in hell unless you repent and receive the Lord Jesus. He woke up in a cold sweat, scared to death. Woke his cellmate up and he says, you know, an angel just came to me and told me I was going to go to hell and that I was living wickedly. He called another inmate in and they got their little Gideon New Testaments out and right there on the the jail floor, on that concrete floor, Abdul repented and asked Christ to forgive him and to save him and to come into his heart and to be his Lord and his Savior. And Abdul got up a new creature in Christ. And he began to instigate Bible studies and prayer meetings. And people would come from that prison to see this man that was the most violent in the prison who had, the Lord had changed. And he began to start Bible studies and, and, and prayer meetings and and actually, they had to they even started moving him every year or so to another prison because he'd bring peace and harmony and God's word into those prisons. And so after years of them moving Abdul around to minister in the prisons, they had a special convened meeting. They called Abdul in and they say, Abdul, you are not the same man that we incarcerated years ago. He says, no, I'm a new creature in Christ. And they say, we're going to give you a complete and free pardon. And today, Abdul works as a security guard at the bank that he robbed. He unlocks the bank in the morning and locks it back up at night. Guys, y'all standing with the Gideons, it says in Philippians 2.16, holding forth the word of life, that we may rejoice in the day of Christ, that we not run in vain, nor labored in vain. So we are a part of you, and y'all are a part of us around the world. We are the body of Christ. And y'all may not know this, but Sebastian, is, is, he's good for nothing. He doesn't cost y'all one skinny dive. Neither does, does um, our, our brother Nathan, Nate. Doesn't cost, he paid his own way to go to El Salvador. I paid my own way to go to Ghana. My dad is a Gideon. He got me in this ministry, and he stepped up and helped me too. But we cover all of our own expenses so that we can tell a congregation that every dollar you give us will go just to printing and shipping the Bibles. All these brothers in Ghana and in 200 and something countries around the world are also good for nothing. They don't cost you anything. And folks, there are very few ministries that can tell you that 100% of your money will go just to the cause of that ministry. And we can print these Bibles around the world. We contract it out so we get the best prices. When you're printing, we'll, we'll print almost 100 million Bibles this year. Every second, 2.3 Bibles are being handed out in 203 or 4 countries around the world in 107 languages. But it costs us $1.25 to print and ship this Bible to its destination and have it hand-delivered by a professional Christian businessman that's recommended by their pastor. 
who can, in many cases can preach the gospel. Guys, you can't get a better bargain than that. You can't ship this thing across town for $1.25. Much less print it, ship it around the world, and have someone hand deliver it. The schools and, and villages in the furthest tribes of Siberia have got copies of God's Word. The school children in the highest mountains of the Andes have got copies of God's Word. The students, schools and students in the deepest jungles of Papua New Guinea have got God's Word. National Geographic thought they had found one of the last tribal, untouched tribes, but they had, Gideon's, they had God's Word. So pray for us. We need your prayers. Sebastian needs your prayers as we grow in our, in our effectiveness. We need your prayers to be on the AB Tech campus tomorrow. There'll be professors that'll come up to us and threaten us and ask us what we're doing there. And we've got to love them back. That's hard for me. It may be easier for Sebastian. But we have to just love them and, and care for them. So we need your prayers and we need your financial support. And there may be an individual here today. We're all busy men and our wives but we just do what we can do. We don't ask for anything more. But there may be someone, hey, I'd like to be a part of you guys and get out there and do that. And our wives can be with us on these college campuses, and that really helps. You have a bunch of old boys out there doing something. We look kind of rough, but you do. You put a little wife in there, and it just, it changes the whole dynamic. So we need our girls with us. So you may want to be with us. But today you're going to have an opportunity to contribute, and you can make a check out to the Gideons International. You can use your debit card or credit card with that insert. You can put the information in it. Do it on a credit card or debit card. Uh, a whole case of 100 Bibles is $125. So the question just comes is how many Bibles do you want to put into the hands of people that the majority today have never touched God's Word? We will place over 16 million Bibles in India this year. 80% of those that will go to schools that are 90% Hindu. So we're, we're reaching the unreached. Well, let's close. We, we went over time. But it's been a joy to be with you. Thank y'all for going to Ghana with me today. And matter of fact, y'all were with me in Ghana four years ago. If it wasn't for the church, we wouldn't be there. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.